Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, gggministry.com. I'm so honored that uh, my dad is here tonight. This is, I think, the first time ever we've ever spoken at a conf- the same conference together. Uh, come on, let's honor him. Uh, yeah, I, I can truly say... Jesus said these profound words, I only do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. And I can say that that is the testimony of my life. Um, I'm, a, I'm a byproduct of what he has sown. And what we see God do today at Risen Nation, what we see God do at Habitation, what we're seeing God do, in, and if you don't know, we're planning a church campus here in the Chicagoland area, August 19th. And uh, all of that, yeah, amen. In Tennessee too, yes. And all of that is a result and of a field that he sowed in. I, I, I often say I'm, I'm receiving of a harvest that I didn't plow for or sow for. And I think we need more fathers like that. We are excellent in our understanding of generational curses in the church. And we bind and loose a lot of things. But we don't understand generational anointing and generational blessing. And I think it's time that we start understanding that. Amen. And with that being said, I mean, we have fathers and mothers sitting among us, Gary and Gail, uh, Solomon and his wife. And I just, can we just honor all of the leaders that came? And Gary and Gail for what they contended for. It's an absolute honor to run with you, Gary. And Gary and Gail will actually be overseeing our church community here, so... Uh, we're just getting started on this journey. I think we got more trips to Japan ahead of us. Amen? Amen. And my sweet little daughter, Ellie, is here, so you're probably going to see her running around and ministering with me at some point tonight. All right. Are you guys hungry? Are you sure about that? I think Solomon said it right. If you came and you're willing to sit in this sweaty mess, it's because you want Jesus, right? Um, You didn't come to spectate tonight. Okay, we're going to get there. We're going to work on it. Got to warm you guys up a little bit, even though you're already sweaty. But I didn't come and fly here to minister to people that are going to sit and stare at me. We came here to come into this sweaty mess together because we are starving for something. And I come to you, I come to you tonight with a divine discontentment. My prayer is not that, although I want you to leave encouraged and blessed and healed, I actually pray that you leave disrupted. Uh, I pray that you leave feeling the friction of the Holy Spirit starting a fire in you again that has grown cold and dull and complacent. Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah, there's this part where it says the Lord will come through Jerusalem with his lantern and he will find those who have become complacent. And I think for those that are truly hungry for God's presence, we invite the lamp of the Lord to come into our lives to illuminate those places that have become dry and sleepy. And so my prayer is that we awaken tonight. Amen. As the church, as the body of Christ, that we get free from religious activity, religious duty. Amen. Amen. 
All right, my dad has this saying, and just wait till he preaches tomorrow morning. Uh, get your butts here, because I promise it'll absolutely transform your life. But he has this saying that silence belongs in the grave. So you're not dead, right, tonight? You're alive. Okay, so let's be alive, and you can have as much as you want tonight. <laughs> okay. Gary's agreeing with me. You can have as much as you want. Amen? All right. And the only reason anybody leaves empty is because they came too full. All right. Can you open your Bibles to Deuteronomy? I was, it's an interesting place to start. This pulpit every year is way too high. I prayed that I'd be 6'2", but I hit 5'7 and stopped. So I'm going to, thanks, Gary. Just a shorter, short pulpit for like short dudes would be great next time. I was, I was talking today with Solomon and my, and my father and Gary, and we were sitting in the kitchen. And I'm sitting there among fathers, among leaders who have provided supernatural environments for the next generation. I can truly say that, you know, for a long time, I didn't know or didn't think that my testimony was all that profound. You know, I, I worked for a man named Todd White who would you know, he was a drug addict for 22 years and I would watch him walk up to people and he was able to share his testimony and just relate to people in the world. But I had a problem. I didn't really relate to people in the world. And I know that that sounds prideful, but if anything, it speaks to what good fathering and mothering looks like. I saved myself for my wife. I know like, wow. But I didn't deal with drugs and alcohol. I didn't deal with getting lost in the world. I grew up in church. I grew up under, a, under an environment where the presence of God was everything. Miracle signs and wonders was what was taught to us as a way of life. And so I didn't know anything else. And when I got older and I started going to other places and other locations, because at a young age, at 10 years old, I remember tangibly experiencing God for the first time. I'll never forget it. I was playing dodgeball in the back in children's church. Uh, my dad was ministering. He was probably on hour four or so. And he called, uh, ushers came running into the back room and they said, your father wants you and your brother and your sisters. There's four of us. I'm the youngest of four. And my dad lined us up. He said, your grandmother spoke to me, gave me a word today that I'm supposed to pray for my kids. I'm 10 years old. And I'll never forget, he lined us up and my knees started shaking and I didn't know why. And how many of you know, kids don't courtesy fall. They don't know how to courtesy fall. They're not falling to make the preacher feel good. I love watching kids get touched by God because you know it's real. And our children need an authentic encounter with an authentic God, amen? And so I walked into the sanctuary and he began to pray over us. And when he got to me, I, all I remember is I came to it and I was weeping on the ground and screaming at 10 years old. I didn't know why. My mom was kind of rubbing my head, seeing if I was okay. And that night I went home. I remember it so vividly because my brother had one of his friends spend the night. Uh, and I was kicked out of my bed. I was, you know, when my brother's friends would come over, they would take the beds and they'd put me in the middle on the floor. And I remember laying on the floor and God was so real to me. And I remember tangibly feeling him in my room. I picked up a pen that was by my bed and I wrote on this piece of paper. It was, uh, it was 2002 and I wrote on this piece of paper and I said, Lord, I give you my life. 
And so that encounter and those types of encounters when I got to high school, they marked me and I remembered and I would be in situations where I could maybe step into an opportunity of sin and, and God would bring me back to that moment. And it was like, I always knew there was this seed in me that I couldn't get away from, no matter how tr hard I tried running away from the church and, and not necessarily the church, but you know, I wasn't really thinking I was ever gonna be a preacher or a pastor. You can ask my dad, I would tell him, you mark my words, I'm not gonna preach. And he would be like, okay, son. And, uh, but my problem was, is I had seen too much. You know, like how many of you in here, your testimony is you were free from drugs or alcohol? Raise your hand. Okay, and out of those that raise their hand, no one can talk you out of the gospel because you encountered God into it, right? It wasn't, it wasn't theological, it wasn't philosophy. A person came into your life and at one time you had this desire and all of a sudden the desire was gone. Is that your, is that your testimony? the desire just gone overnight like you didn't desire say it again fire fire of listen to this the fire of god this man right here went through his body and all the desires left that's not a 12-step program that's called jesus the lamb of god walked into his life and changed everything so so you're gonna have a problem for the rest of your life and the big problem is is that he's ruined and religion will never do it his problem is, is that anything outside of encounter with God becomes fraudulent, right? And so God has a way of touching us. God has a way of, of marking our lives where you encounter something and you can't go back. And, and the thing that, that used to work doesn't work anymore. And maybe you grew up in a church that didn't believe in the move of the spirit, but then all of a sudden you encountered the Holy Spirit and you can't go back anymore. And I'm not against any churches. I pray that the Holy Spirit bless all of them and encounter all of them. But see, my problem was, is I had seen tumors fall off people's necks. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. We had seen miracles. And so then you grow up and you begin to hear religiosity and it doesn't do it for you, right? And so as a child, as a kid, we need fathers and mothers that provide environments that God dwells in. I remember asking Gary one time, I said, how did you, his, his children, his daughters are literally angels. I don't know where Kelly and Tiffany are, but they're around here somewhere. They, they just exude with the presence of God. And I asked him one time, I said, how did you do that? Give me some tips, Gary, because I got a little girl and seeing where the world's going today, I'm like, Lord, help us, right? I said, Gary, how did you do that? He said, I don't really do anything. And I'm like thinking he's gonna tell me, you know, we did these Bible studies every day. My dad would say the same thing. Or, or you had some sort of method. He said, I didn't do, we didn't do anything. We provided an environment that the presence of God rested in. And then they were raised in it. And they were raised in the glory. They were raised in the power. And I think the Lord is coming to change the narrative of a generation. A narrative that sounds like this. I've gotta go touch the world to get my fix, to only come back or maybe, you know, but what, what, what's gonna happen when our kids are born in Zion and they don't know sin? See, we don't believe it because we've never been born into it, but I'm standing proof. Now, I'm not saying I've never sinned, of course. I had to repent, all of those things, but I'm standing proof of someone that can grow up in an environment where God dwells and that the desire of the fathers and mothers is that the next generation be more anointed than the previous one.
right? But if we're honest with ourselves, what we've seen in the church today is the anointing hasn't increased, it's decreased. So we got to talk about Smith Wigglesworth to get something stirring again, right? We've got to talk about the old revivals. And then on top of talking about it, we try to do it again. And we try to do it exactly like they did it with sounding exactly like they sounded. And God wants to do a new thing. And, it, and if we actually follow the way the anointing flows, according to Psalms 133, what starts as a, just a trickle on the top builds as it goes down. So I, I just can't help but sense, and David Wagner, he's the same thing. He just carries this father's spirit. I feel like this weekend, the fathering spirit is going to be released. And it's not just for the preachers and the pastors, it's for the husbands, it's even for the mothers, and God's gonna turn into your home, he's gonna turn your home into being a place marked with three words, God is here. And my, and my desire tonight is, is that I provoke you, and it's gonna start in your house. My desire tonight is, is that we provoke a generation to have this moment, like, go sit with Amoheri, baby, to have this moment like when Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin and she's dying and she's filled with sorrow because she's dying. And as she's giving birth, she says, his name will be Benoni. And I love this story. Jacob is standing with this woman that he loved, this woman he worked 14 years to have. And his last encounter with Rachel is don't listen to her because she's trying to take the sorrow of her life and her generation and pass it to the next generation. But, she, but Jacob does something profound. She says, his name will be Benoni, which means son of sorrow. And it says, Jacob, I love this. Jacob stood up as a father. And he said, his name will not be Benoni, but his name will be Benjamin. And the, the name Benjamin means son of favor, son of power, son of my right hand. And a father stood in the gap of intercession and he said, no, no, the trajectory of his life will not be sorrow. And he changes the trajectory of a generation by identifying the generation correctly. And fathers release identity and they release purpose. So my desire tonight is, is that identity and purpose is released because there's a generation crying out for this. Who am I and why am I? Everywhere I'm going, and I'm gonna to get to Deuteronomy, I haven't forgotten, don't worry. But everywhere I'm going and ministering, this continual word keeps coming into my heart. And the word is, is that people are in church every single week dealing with suicidal thoughts, fear, depression. And when I'm doing a call for it, you know who's responding to it? Kids are. I'm talking five and six-year-olds. I mean, even the last gathering we did here in Chicago in, in uh, the Hinckley Community Center, it's kids that are responding to suicidal thoughts. This is in our homes. And I don't know about you, but there's this divine agitation inside of me where playing church isn't working anymore. We're having them attend to get our 45 minutes, 20 bucks and go to lunch. It isn't working anymore. It's actually never worked. Right, and what it's breeding is it's breeding a younger generation that doesn't wanna be a part because they want to taste the presence of God, but no one's giving them it. The other day I was, sorry, I'm just going to vent in the beginning here. The other day I was, my wife and I had gone to bed and my third born, my son, his name is Benjamin. And he came into our room as, you know, sometimes we have four kids sleeping in our bed. Praise God. We're trying to work on it, but it doesn't seem to ever work. 
So when they're teenagers, maybe they'll be out of my bed by then. But right now, they're in my bed. So Benji comes in after we put him to bed, and he wants to sleep in our bed, and he, he gets in the bed, and within, and I'm falling asleep. It's about midnight. Emily's already asleep, and he starts to cry, and he says, I want my Bella. Now, Bella is this little dog that smells like sneeze, and it's disgusting, and he won't ever let us wash it. He has a, uh, like a meltdown if it goes into the washer, but he brings this little dog everywhere he goes. And he will panic if we go anywhere without the little Bella stuffed animal dog, right? So Ellie's laughing because she knows Bella well. And Bella stinks up the whole room and Benji just, just doesn't care, right? So I don't want to sleep anywhere near Bella, but he wants Bella in the bed. So he gets in the bed and Bella's not there. And he begins to cry and tell me I want Bella and, but it's in the playroom. And I say, well, go, go to the playroom and go get it. So he's like, but it's dark. And I'm like, you're, you know, and I told him, be brave and go get it. So he, you know, he's uh, two years old. So he goes and he grabs the, he tries to grab the, the Bella and he comes running back to our room and he's weeping, crying. And he's really mad at me because I'm not helping him. I'm not getting out of bed. I just want to go to sleep. And uh, he says, he, he begs me, please come get my, my Bella. So I, I'm kind of frustrated, you know, I get up out of the bed, I pick him up, I'm walking to the playroom, and he's, he doesn't like the dark, he's, and he's crying because it's dark. And I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, it's in him to hate the dark and love the light. What is it about our kids, right? What is it about our kids that they're, they're accustomed to wanting a light on when they go to sleep at night? It's because in them dwells this marvelous light. They come from God, Ephesians 1:4, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Our children are more sensitive than we realize. And culture and the world is trying to take them from us. And we need to give our kids an authentic encounter with the Holy Spirit. Because they recognize it. They know more than we could ever understand. I think if anything, we need to become more like a child. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 1, go to verse 39 with me. I'm just, I'm just starting here, but ultimately I want to get into, and it's all about Jesus, but I, I want to get into who we are and, and why we are. So here's what it says in verse 39. And as for your little ones, so this is the context here, is the Lord is speaking through Moses and he's bringing correction. These people needed a lot of correction. These people had Egypt in their mind and they couldn't get Egypt out of their mind, right? A previous generation with a wineskin that they couldn't get, get, get away from. So it says in verse 39, and as for your little ones, this is important, who you said would become prey. And your children who today have no knowledge of good and evil, this is important. They don't have any understanding they're innocent. Everyone say innocent. They have no knowledge of good and evil, but you said they're going to be prey. They're going to be the ones that go into the promised land to inherit it. And to them, I will give it and they shall possess it. And it says, but as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So here's the picture. You have these kids, right? And they don't know right from wrong. All they know is miracles. Imagine my little Ellie here, four years old, and her first memory is walking through a sea that's standing open for you. No Egypt in her mind. 
She never knew Egypt. She never knew Pharaoh. She never knew bondage. She doesn't know what oppression is. So in other words, she doesn't know evil and she doesn't know good, right? Because I think the Lord is delivering us from the religiosity of standing at the tree of good and evil. And he's bringing us to a tree of life where he's just going to take out the options. He's going to change the nature, right? And so the innocence of these children that their first memory, they're walking through a sea that's open to them. Their first memories is a cloud by day that leads them in a fire by night and, and manna that shows up every morning and it's enough for the whole family to eat. Their shoes grow on their feet and their clothes never grow weary. I, I mean, think about what was their level of thinking of what life is, right? You, you, my son, it would, for my kids, it'd be like he has a Spider-Man shirt on and it just grows into a 40-year-old man Spider-Man shirt, right? He, he never had to, he didn't have to go do laundry. God literally, it says he bore them in, in Exodus 19, he bore them on eagle's wings. So these kids get to the land and all they've ever heard is they're born for the other side of the river. Uh, they've, they've, never, they've never known the wrong side. So they get to the promised land and they're like, you guys think that that's a problem? Our way of life has been miracles. Our way of life has been power. Our way of life has been the supernatural. And it was the one generation that had bondage in their heart that couldn't get free from yesterday. But a generation that didn't know yesterday has no idea how to even compare their lives to it. And I feel like there is this prophetic unction in my spirit of we need fathers that introduce us to the anointing again. Listen, that introduce us to supernatural environments and not just, not just in the context of service, not just in the context of meetings and conferences, but you walk into your home and God dwells there. And as far as your family's concerned, your job doesn't give you money, God gives you money, right? And, and I know it's really practical and simple, but I think we've created the wrong environments and our kids are suicidal, they're depressed, they're full of fear, they're listening to what's out there in the news and in the media. Many of your children, our children, going to public schools, seeing all of the nonsense that is trying to be brainwashed into our kids. And I'm just telling you, there's no more time to waste. We urgently, everyone say urgently. We urgently need the raw, authentic anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have more charisma today than we know what to do with. We have, it sounds good. The production is amazing. Listen, the churches are packed and he's not there. And I know it's intense, but this is who I am. And I've just accepted it because if no one's going to say it, we might as well. Because everybody's thinking it, you know, but, but my problem is, was this man. That's my problem. My problem is, is he made something normal to me. So all of a sudden you go to something that you can recognize, wait, the presence of God is not first. Jesus doesn't have preeminence here. And you begin to recognize that as a teenager, right? And so I've got this, if you can't tell, this divine discontentment in my heart of, you know, my dad made this statement to me one time. He said, your skinny jeans and your fog machines, they're just not cutting it. And he was rebuking me actually at this time in my life because that's what fathers do. They discipline. And at this time in our community, we had about 
900 and we're growing and and I thought he would be proud but he didn't care how big the church was what he looked for was is God there is God residing in this place we need the anointing but I'm not even sure we understand what the anointing is so we're going to talk about it in a little bit but again the question of a generation is who am I and why am I and I think before we can understand, listen, who we are, we have to, again, put him in the right place. I, I believe in many ways we've become too familiar with God's presence. I'm not against you calling him Papa, but before he's your Papa Daddy, he's your King. He's your Master. He's your Lord, right? So I want us to just, just for a minute, I just want to dwell on who he is. And I think that this is what Gary and Gail had in their hearts of getting back to the lamb, getting back to him. Listen, Job describes him like this, talking about God. And just listen, you, you don't have to turn there, just listen. Here's just a few things, all right, that Job says about him. It says he hangs planets, listen, on nothing. He gives the wind its weight, appointed the measure of waters in the earth, he tells the rain when to come and when to go. Lightning bolts follow his command. By his power, seas are stilled. He spread out the skies with the word of his mouth. He balances the clouds. He's by his breath. Listen, ice is given. This is all in scripture. Wind proceeds from his chambers and his sneezing causes light to go forth. One translation says his sneezings cause constellations to form. Stars, listen, sang to him when they were created. Oceans wave their hands before him. In Psalms 98, rivers give him an applause. And the hills become joyful at his presence. And in chapter 26 of Job, it ends with this, and these are but the outskirts of his ways. I want to make sure that we start this event getting our eyes correctly back on the Lord. Psalms 147, four through five, it says it like this. He determines the numbers of stars. He gives them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Let me put that into perspective for you. He gives every star a name. Do you realize that just in the Milky Way galaxy alone, there is billions of stars, but there's also billions of galaxies. And inside the billions of galaxies, there's billions of more stars. And every single one of them has a name from God. Every single one. Romans 11, 33 through 36 says it like this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, through him, and to him, I love that, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Psalms 93, 1 through 2, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Here's something that'll really mess with your mind. All things were created through him, for him, and in him all things consist. So in other words, 
God doesn't dwell in eternity. Eternity dwells in God. I mean, you just wrap your mind, try to wrap your mind around that for five seconds that he has no beginning and no end. When did he start? Never. How long is that going to last? Forever. The scriptures describe him as having a counsel and his counsel is called his own will. He's so perfection, he's so preeminent, he's so supreme, he needs no accountability. Luke 19, I love this. They were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, you see, listen, religion hates radical, right? It hates noise, it hates... It hates zeal, it hates passion. And these Pharisees who thought they had it all figured out came to him and said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered and said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You're talking about a God that rocks with no life will worship him if we don't. So let's think about this for a second because in order for us to understand who we are, we have to see this. We're talking about a God who's uncreated uncreated. You guys with me? Uncreated, no beginning, no end. The scriptures describe him as he's seated on a throne on top of a sea mingled with, with fire and glass. Above his throne sits an, a, an emerald rainbow and out of his throne is proceeding lightning and thunder as crowns pile at his feet on a constant basis because he's the king of kings. Four creatures, it says, that are full of eyes inside and out. I think that the picture of that is as they see every side of him. And the only word that they can come up with for eternity is holy. I mean, imagine we get bored in church singing a chorus three times and repeating it. Forever, we will be singing holy and worthy is the lamb. They can, they're so astonished at what they're seeing. They're so, listen, and we're in church just bored. When's it going to be over? This preacher's going long. But in heaven, they can't stop staring at him. <clears throat> How many of you want heaven on earth? Okay. Well, we can't preach that without getting fascination back into our eyes again. <clears throat> so these four creatures, the only words that they can come up with is holy. I did a study and it says that scientists have discovered that, and have said that we have only discovered four to 6% of the universe. And they can't keep up, they can't, they're struggling to get to 7% because the universe is still growing at the speed of light in every direction. Here's the picture. In the beginning, what did he say? God said, let there be light. He said light one time, and light has been obeying at the speed of light in every direction since the beginning of time. And it's still growing at the speed of light in every direction and they can't keep up with it. And they, tr and they think just a boom happened and it all worked out. It's, it's stupidity, it makes no sense to me, right? The divine uncreated God gave the waves, it says, their allotted boundary and they've been faithful from the beginning of time. 
The sun, it goes up on time. The moon obeys on time every day since the beginning of time. And this person that he put in the center of it all called humanity is the only thing in creation that's disobedient. And Psalms 82 says, don't you know creation's off balance because you are disobedient. Everything's in order except man. Right? Everything obeys perfectly except man. A.W. Tozer makes this statement. He says, don't fall in your pride that thinking idolatry is just bowing down to images, but the essence of idolatry is entertaining thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. I'm going to say it again. I know some of you are sleepy, but I'm going to say it again. Don't fall in your pride that thinking idolatry is just bowing down to images, but the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. I mean, have you ever read in the scriptures? And, and I'm just in the beginning. I'm just trying to get our perspective right. To get our spirit to come a little bit higher to become fascinated again. Because it, God has to become real to you and then he'll touch you. Have you ever considered that when you read the scriptures, angels that proceed from his presence cause men to fall like dead men? Guys, people that are just close to him get around and people fall like dead men in their presence because they've just been they've been lingering around him in Ezekiel 1 through 3 I love this Ezekiel goes into an encounter I, I want to read some of the things he sees and what I love about Ezekiel's encounter in chapters 1 through 3 is he has a really hard time describing it he, he keeps using words like this it's like the color is like there's this wheel and it's like the wheel is on fire and there's a wheel inside of a wheel god is very creative but here's some things it says listen these are some of the words in which in which ezekiel tried to express what he saw it says the throne was like the appearance of sapphire he saw the likeness of a human on a throne but his body was like gleaming metal wrapped in fire Brightness was all around him. Fire was flashing like lightning. And those four creatures, here they are again. The four creatures were standing before him. And these are those that follow the spirit of God wherever he goes. Their eyes were everywhere and they had wings. Some of their wings covered their bodies while some were stretched out. And every time their wings touched each other, the earth quaked. And in chapter 3, so listen, he's seeing all this happen. This in this moment, in this the very existence of time, this is still happening in spirit. So these creatures, every time their wings touch, the earth shakes. Ezekiel is seeing this and he's so overwhelmed by what he sees. It says in Ezekiel 3 that he sat there for seven days in the city, just staring off into space, overwhelmed. No food, no water. He was so overwhelmed with fascination. One translation says he was so astonished by what he was seeing that he couldn't get off of his seat. He sat there for seven days straight and just stared into space. People coming in the city going, is this person okay? He had seen God. And we're in church just going through the motions. After considering the majesty, the wonder, the glory, the supremacy, the preeminence of God, the wonder, the glory, consider this, that all of that power became a seed inside of a woman. All that glory, 
I mean, listen to this. Hebrews 1 describes it like this. Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. Your bodies are held together in this moment by the word of his power. Colossians 1 says, all things were made through him, for him, and in him all things consist. The psalmist in Psalms 8 describes it like this, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, what is man that you're so mindful of him? The son of man that you would visit him. Think about all the wonder and the majesty we've been talking about. And what religion taught us is that the bigger God gets, the smaller you get. But you got to understand that big God became a seed because you were really important. All that power becomes a seed. My dad makes this statement that when you consider the cosmos and everything he, listen, like it says in Job, sneezes out constellations. When you consider the cosmos and the glory of the Lord, it's all a speck in comparison to what lives in you because the one who set all of it in motion decided, I want to make you my everlasting habitation. I don't know about you, but this fascinates me that the God of the universe wants to dwell with me in my bedroom that the God of the universe wants to have proximity, that the God of the universe became a man yet had a chromosome in him called God. I mean, consider fully God, fully man. No Y chromosome in him because there was only a chromosome called God and he walked, God walked the earth and God came and he didn't come to show off how wonderful and glorious he was actually he hid for 30 years i mean consider 30 years he lives in obscurity and for three he has a ministry today we want the three years in obscurity and the 30 years of ministry but he would heal the sick and then say don't tell anyone this is god we're talking about and he can't, comes and he stands up in a synagogue and he begins to quote isaiah 61 i am here because to show my glory. I'm here because I've been anointed to heal the sick, to mend the brokenhearted. I have come to release the captives that are in prison. I've come to take them out. And all of a sudden you start going 30,000 feet and seeing the bigger story of God and creation, that the uncreated God counts the hairs on my head and numbers all of them. And Jeremiah, listen, it says he has more thoughts for you than all the grains of sand in the whole earth. Do you know how many thoughts that is? And Jeremiah even clarifies it further and he says, thoughts for my welfare? Guys, think about this. He came from everlasting because you were important enough for God to go, I want them to be with me. And then he takes it a step further. He says, I'm going to take of myself and I'm going to put it in within them. And then I'm going to say something crazy in First John. As he is, what I've been describing is who he is. First John makes it even more radical. In chapter, in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, and as he is, everyone say he is, so are we. Does it say one day when we die and go to heaven? No, it says in this world, in, in the flesh, as I walk around, I am as he is. Like, what, what are you talking about, God? 
And we just go through the motions of life. We go to church, we fulfill the religious duty, and we have made Christianity about dying and going to heaven, and God is really big, and I'm really small, and, and one day I'll get there, and the goal is just stay out of hell and get to heaven. You got a 50-50 chance, be good. But the Lord's coming to a generation. He's getting our perspective of God right again, and as we clarify that perspective, as you begin to see who he is, you'll begin to see who you are. And beautifully, like the psalmist said, what is man that your mind is so full of him? I love this. Second Corinthians 5, 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin. Or the original says, he who knew no sin became the perfect offering, the sin offering. That you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. See, this is the stuff, this is the problem I have. This is my problem, is this is what I was told when I was younger. But then I got around Christians and they told me I was a sinner. But, but I grew up where he would say, no, no, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. No, I grew up where he would say, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Just a couple verses before that. And behold, all things have become new. I grew up, and, and every day we leave the house, he would say, don't forget who you are. And, he would, and we were convinced. My, my brother and sisters, we were convinced that we were going to change the world. Because we were told who we are. I mean, consider that, that the scriptures tell us that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Here's another way to say it, just to offend you. Do you realize that because of the blood of Jesus, you're as righteous as God? Amen. See, we don't like that. You can feel the religion in the room. I am not as righteous as God, but I thought we just all agreed to 2 Corinthians 5.21, that you are the righteousness of God. I mean, to be the righteousness of God makes you as righteous as God. Not by your own works or your own merit, but only by the blood of the Lamb. So you start, you start grasping. We start stepping into, Lord, you haven't created me to just get through life. You haven't created me to die and go to heaven. You haven't created me to build a mega ministry. You haven't created me to use my gifts and talents, but yet here you say on that day, I don't know who you are. And so this is my cry as a son to you tonight. Is, is that we would begin to put God back in the right place so that we can begin to discover who we are and we begin to release the raw anointing back to a generation that's telling them you have been endued with power from on high. I mean, I just gave you a glimpse and it's not even the full story. I just gave you a glimpse of who God is and he comes along, he says, I'm gonna dwell in them and I will be with them. It says that when he was crucified, we were crucified, that when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. This is all in the scriptures. When he was raised, we were raised with him. When he was seated in heavenly places, we were seated with him in heavenly places, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. This is unbelievable news. I know nobody's excited, but this is very exciting to me. And I don't even need your applause because it's, it has to become real to a generation that's going, no, no, no. I actually believe that he didn't just die for me. He died as me on a tree. And he's invited me into a life where now the invitation is, is all that power, all that glory, I'm going to put it inside of a generation. And the last thing we're going to be dealing with is suicidal thoughts. Because the only thing we know is life. 
And I just have this dream in my heart that my four-year-olds, that my six-year-old, that my two-year-old, that one day I'll be called into a parent-teacher conference because they were casting out devils and it was normal to them. But we, you know, we just want to keep it tame. But do you know that the early church, like the credentials of the early church was power. The early church had a saying, they would say, we are the church, those that laugh at death. Today, we would say, we are the church. Well, I can't say that because I'm going to offend a lot of people, but we're scared of colds today. And I'm not trying to, you know, I know COVID, you know, was bad, but so is the flu. And we're petrified. And, and churches, listen, churches fell to the ground because of a flu. And nobody says anything about it because we want to be politically correct. Throw the political correctness out the window because the promise, listen, the promise to a generation that knows who they are is that we will go and preach the kingdom of God accompanied with power. And if we're being honest, we don't see any more power today. Great charisma, great sound, great lights. It's a great show. But where is God? What happened to the proximity with God? So because I've been told my whole life who I am in Christ, the agitation as you, as you go is, is that religiosity wants to put this false humility in your, in your heart that's, oh, wretched man that I am, and one day I'm just going to die and go to heaven, be a good boy along the way, and it's ripping the anointing out of a generation. But when God begins to mingle inside of a people, not only who we are, but what we've been clothed with, not only what God says is dwelling on the inside of us, but what we've been endued with, I'm telling you, God is going to release his anointing again. Not, not, not the gifts. We want all the gifts of the spirit, but without the anointing, listen, your gift can cause you to stand before God, according to Matthew 7, and say, Lord, Lord, look at all these things we've done in your name healed the sick, cast out devils, all these things. And he could say, get away from me. I don't know who you are, you workers of lawlessness. God's interested in coming to know who we are and us knowing who he is. But there's this result. Everyone say result. There's this, this byproduct, this fruit that begins to take place. And it's in Luke 24, 49. And then we're gonna just see what happens. It says, and behold... I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed or endued with power from on high. I love this. That word endued, listen, in Greek it means to sink into, like the sinking into of the garment. It's like putting on clothes, but the clothes, it sinks into your skin. The Old Testament, the anointing, because again, I, I want you to remember this, because this is what I'm seeing everywhere I go all over the earth, and it's specifically with our children, so we're contending for something tonight, is the cry of a generation, who are we and why are we? So we've talked about who, but let's start talking about why. The word, listen, anointing, that, that anointing of the Holy Spirit, where we have been endued with power, it describes that word anointing, listen, and you can write this down. It means, it simply means this, a smearing 
or a special endowment of the Holy Spirit. Write it down, a smearing or a special endowment of the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you, take notes this weekend with all of these guys, like these two men of God, Solomon and my dad, the spirit of revelation is upon them. Capture this moment, amen? <clears throat> but that word anointing is when God comes and he smears himself upon you. In the Old Testament, the anointing, the way the anointing was applied or what was the anointing was described as oil. And the oil would be poured upon the priests. It would be poured upon the, the Levites and those that would work. Everything in the tabernacle was to be anointed. Kings were anointed. And so the anointing in scripture was poured upon the head of the priests. And then Aaron's would, it would be poured on Aaron. And then Aaron would then put that on his sons and on their sons. And it was always this generational effect. Right, it was always, it started with the fathers and the mothers, but they would take it and they would take of the anointing and they would put the anointing on the next generation. And it was like the picture of oil flowing. Psalms 133, which I talked about in the beginning, it's it, the, the anointing, it's like, it describes it as, here's where we find unity. It's like the oil, okay? Anytime you see oil in the Old Testament, it's, it's the anointing of God. It's like the oil upon the head of Aaron down to his beard, down to his garments. And it says, and there I commend my blessing. Where? At the bottom, right? So in other words, the next generation should be more anointed than the previous one. If we're doing it right. Say amen or something. Okay. So oil in the Old Testament, Zechariah 4, you don't have to turn there. What was the oil and the, the flow of oil in the Old Testament becomes the pouring of the Holy Spirit in the new, right? And the words are important because the anointing was poured. It was poured. So in Acts chapter 2, we see that language that the Holy Spirit, the promise is, is I will pour out. You even see it in Joel 2. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So here's the picture. Oil in the Old Testament was just for the few, but what is the promise of Acts 2? That I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. How many of you know Revelation 5? It says that we are all, everyone say all, all. kings and priests unto God. So the implication is, is all of you are involved, which none of you have an excuse now. All of us, God's looking for an entire body of people to become priests and kings unto God. Right, it actually says a kingdom of priests unto the Lord. Right, a whole generation invited into a priesthood that you don't need a pulpit for, but you can walk at Starbucks dripping with something. And this is my goal, this is my goal, is that you would come to know who you are and why you are, and I promise the atmosphere in Starbucks will change. Okay, so the oil in the Old Testament, Ze Zechariah 4 brings it together. Zechariah 4, it says he was sleeping and in slumber. We don't have time to turn there, but in chapter 4, verse 1, Zechariah is asleep. And I love this picture because I believe it's like the church in the West. He's coming to wake up a sleepy church, right? And, and it says he was as if he was a man in slumber. So he's awakened out of slumber and he goes into a vision. And he sees this vision and in the vision he sees two olive trees and he sees this golden lampstand between the two olive trees and there's a bowl on top of the lampstand with golden pipes going to the olive trees and there's this continual flow from the olive trees into the lampstand and it is the flow of the 
the anointing or the oil of God. And the Lord begins to speak to him and he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And in that verse, in that chapter of the Bible, we see what the oil was. The equivalent of oil in the old is the pouring of the Holy Spirit in the new. And he's giving Zechariah a picture of, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And it will not be by our power, by our might, by our works, by our religious activity, by our duty, by the building of our churches, by our strategy, by our programs, by none of that nonsense. It'll only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is, is I'm going to anoint everyone. This is the promise. The promise is, is I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And what does it say? In Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, and to all the generations that are far off. Right? So Jesus shows up on the scene, and he has this mandate. And his mandate is, is not only to die for the sins of the people, to bear their shame, to bear their guilt. He was bruised for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. Yes. Did he, did he cause us to be free from sin? Yes. But unless Jesus would come and die, Jesus said, I have to go. And I'm fascinated by this picture that he said, I have to go. Because if it was me, I would have just stayed and built the biggest ministry that the earth has ever seen. I mean, Jesus could have put a castle in the sky just, just hanging there. I mean, he caused planets to hang on nothing. Surely he can build a house that hangs on nothing. And he could have stood there and lived there. And a little boy with his mom could say, Mommy, what's that? Well, that's where God dwells. And he could have stayed. And, and I've always wondered, like, he could have caused everyone to be healed and everybody to be saved in a moment. But here's the announcement. I have to go because if I don't go, he won't come. And the Holy Spirit, like, is the announcement that Jesus made it. And the Holy Spirit comes and he pours out. What's, what's the implication? Here, here's the implication. It's as if Jesus said, here's the gospel. The gospel starts with me dying for you, but I'm going to carry out the gospel through you. And, and, and he invites us into this storyline. Unbelievable. He invites us into this narrative of we are not just simply here to die and go to heaven. We're not simply here to, to just come and be a part of church and and get our fix and our fill, the invitation is, is the oil that's on me is the oil that's upon you. At the end of Zechariah, the last verse of Zechariah, Zechariah wants more understanding of the vision he's seeing. And he says, explain to me what the trees are. And, and the scriptures say, it's the two anointed ones that go throughout the earth. One translation says, it's the two sons of oil that go throughout the whole earth. And I believe that the picture is, is the firstborn and then the many brethren. That God is taking of Christ, just him, bringing us back to just Jesus. And he's pouring his oil out upon a generation. It doesn't matter if the sound is good. It doesn't matter if the musicians are the most talented, the most gifted. It doesn't matter if the preacher is incredible. What God is looking for is people that have been smeared with oil. People that are dripping with oil and not satisfied by anything else anymore. Right? So, so here's my, here's the dilemma. How many of you saw The Jesus Revolution? Raise your hand if you saw it. Okay. Incredible movie. When I, when I finished watching that movie, I was like, we're going to burn everything and go find a beach somewhere. 
but I thought that wouldn't be wise. So we didn't do it, but very inspiring movie, right? There's a band from the Jesus movement called Love Song. Now, I'm about to offend a lot of people that were part of the Jesus movement. They didn't sound very good, okay? Now, I know that you thought that they were the greatest thing in history, but I'm sorry. Music from the 70s doesn't do it for me, all right? Unless it's I Exalt Thee. That one has just worked through the generations, right? Love Song didn't sound amazing, right? I'm sorry, Bethel just sounds better. They just do. Jesus Culture, it just, it sounds better. But can we be honest for a second? The anointing is not what it was. Right, see, see my, my uncle, Pastor Benny, my dad's brother, he doesn't have the greatest voice in the world. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. And he sings everything fast. It's either really fast or really slow. The band can't keep up with him. I'm sorry. When that man opens his mouth and he begins to worship, atmospheres change. Regardless of what you think of him. Like, I've, I've rarely, we would agree, rarely have been in rooms where you don't know if you're supposed to move or not. Because the fear of God is just present. Anyone ever experienced what I'm talking about? You just, you get around it and... There's just no doubt in your mind that God is not there. And, and the worship, it's not dynamic, but there's oil. In our church community in Dallas, we'll have what we call band nights, and, and they're not really band nights. We basically, our team comes, and they just minister to God for like three hours straight, and they all end up crying on the stage, and that's our practice. And... Uh, and so whenever somebody feels called to be a part of worship, we have them come sing. And what we test is how do they minister to God when nobody's in a room? How do they tend to the Lord? Do they sing to God or do they, are they only accustomed to singing to people? Right? And so when somebody comes and they try out, we don't listen for the gift. The gift will make room for you. We don't necessarily listen to the talent. What we're looking for is the anointing. And I don't remember the last time I heard a message on the anointing. I hear a lot of good one-liners, a lot of good things, bless you, encourage you, Christian therapy week after week. But we need that anointing again that causes our credentials to be his power again. With no more excuses. You see, again, I've been ruined I, I, I've recently been sharing about a crusade that I, that I found, an old crusade of my uncle where he was in Fiji and this girl had her, this, this mom had a baby and right after she had a baby, she got into a car accident. And in the car accident, she lost feeling from her waist down and she was paralyzed. And she all of a sudden is running up on a stage and no one prayed for her. She just stood up in the middle of worship. Not because someone was gifted, not because someone even prayed for her, but because the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the pouring of the Holy Spirit was present because an atmosphere was conducive for him. This is why the scriptures say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, right? And so she all of a sudden is running up on stage and her brothers are there and they're all screaming and they're all crying. And then out of, out of it comes this little two-year-old girl and she runs and her mom has never held her daughter and been able to play with her standing up. And she runs out of the crowd and she jumps into her mother's arms and her mom is holding her daughter for the first time standing up 
right? And they're all crying and they're all singing and they're all twirling and, and it's like this. And I'm thinking to myself, when's the last time I saw that happen in a meeting or in church? Right, you see, you have these experiences. We were in, we were in London and this, this girl is, she was pulled in on a wheelchair. She's never walked a day in her life, 18 years old. And we pick her up and her legs are dragging on the ground. My uncle's standing behind the pulpit and he tells my cousin Josh and I, I want you to walk in a circle with her on the stage. And there's 5,000 people there and I'm thinking to myself, like just, just in a circle, like do we just keep going? And like surely there's gotta be more to the plan. And he said, walk in a circle. So we start walking, and her feet are dragging on the, on the ground and we just keep going. And, and 10 minutes goes by and nothing happens. And he's a violent little man and so he's banging on the pulpit, yelling, keep walking and have faith, like as if this is my problem. This wasn't my service, right? And so I'm like, I, I don't know, okay. And we just keep walking. Sorry, I just stepped on the dog's foot. We just keep walking. Next thing you know, the girl's feet start moving and we're not having to hold her anymore. And he's like, you see, you just had to keep going. And I'm like, where is this craziness today? You know, my dad tells me this story, and I hope I don't butcher it, but I love this story. You can fix whatever I mess up, but I know the main, I know the main points. He goes and he prays for this, this man. And the man has a, got into an accident, and he had a tube in his neck. In his what? Oh, his throat from cancer. Okay. So he's breathing through a tube, through a hole in his neck. My dad goes into the room and he hears the Lord say, rip the tube out, put your hand over the hole and tell him to breathe. Right? Nuts. He's nuts. And, and so he rips the tube out, puts his hand over the hole and yells, breathe. And the family is trying to get you to stop. Itilo Fergoli, right? He's trying to get him to stop. My dad is com committed. He's either going to breathe or I'm going to commit murder. And the guy starts breathing and gets healed. Okay, so, so you hear things like this when you're little. And you're like, man, Sunday wasn't as good as I thought it was. <laughs> and listen, I, I'm, sometimes it's the, you know, the power of the word. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we take any of that out. But you see, I think we've reasoned our way out of power. We've built theology around why it doesn't happen. He said... Go lay your hands on the sick and you'll see them recover. He didn't say maybe. He said, go lay your hands on the sick and you'll see them recover. He says, go and preach the kingdom of God. Tell them that it's near. In other words, tell them it's here now. And as you do, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. Like these are mandate commands. A command of scripture, I love it. Bill Johnson says, it, what's, what's crazy about scripture, it's just like 66 books of impossible commands. Raise the dead, how? I'm gonna, I gotta go pray for you for 2,000 years. You never see Jesus like sitting down and explaining to them, here's the process of casting out, find out the name of the devil. It's not in scripture. Here's how we're gonna bind and we're gonna lose. No, he said, just point your finger at it. In other words, not by might, not by power. I think in our day, we can add not by strategy, 
not by the equipping conferences, although I value them and we need them, but by the Spirit of God, by the pouring of the Spirit of God, that I am ready for him to come back into rooms again. And I don't know about you, but I am tired and exhausted of preaching, of yelling, of pursuing and not seeing it. And I promise it's not on God's part. He's just looking for that innocence, that innocence of a generation that doesn't know anything else. That all they've known is just miracles. And I would tell you, if you didn't grow up that way, he says, take off the old mind and put on a new one. Let God restore you back to that childlike faith because unless you become like a child, you can't enter in. So here's where I believe we are and then I'm finished and then we're gonna actually pray. And here's my, here's my desire is that we would no longer settle for good messages, good theology, noise, lights, sound, and be satisfied that we would not settle, that we would not rest until we see, without reasoning our way out of it, the power of God come back into our lives, into our churches, walking with our kids. It's time. If you're hungry, raise your hand because it's time. It's time to stop playing. We are desiring this, thirsting for it. If the scriptures say in John 7, 37, out of my belly will flow rivers of the living waters, I'm, I'm tired of not seeing it. And we've got to be honest. And here's where I believe we are in John, and then, I'm, and then I'm going to be done. In John chapter 1, Jesus gets baptized. He comes up out of the water. And when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. It's important. The Holy Spirit descends upon him, and it says that it remained. Everyone say remained. The Holy Spirit clothed God, Jesus Christ, and it remained upon him. And he sees this dove and the proclamation of the father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John 1, John chapter 2, right after this experience and this encounter, Jesus decides I'm going to go to church. So he goes to the temple and he shows up in the temple with John in John chapter 2. And I love this because he premeditated a whip. We miss that a lot. He shows up with a whip at the temple, like Indiana Jones walking in and his disciples are like, this guy's crazy. Shows up with a whip. I know you guys have the pictures where he's blonde and blue-eyed and holding the lammy. But I love the sight of the Lord where his zeal eats him up inside. And his zeal, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, zeal for his house is still consuming him. Right? So he walks up in John chapter 2. And it, it, remember that word. The spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. John chapter 2, he shows up to the temple and he sees money changers, and he sees, it says, pigeons inside of cages. Well, that word pigeons is the word dove. It's the same word in Greek. So he has a dove descend upon him and remain, and then he goes to church, and he sees a dove inside of a cage. And I think today what we have is we have caged the dove, and we tell him, you have an hour and a half to do something, as if that God, uncreated from everlasting, piles of crowns are at his feet, he sneezes out constellations is taking commands from us. And we wonder why there's no power. I've heard someone say like this. We rush in and out of his presence, insulting his glory and wonder why there's no power. I know that this is harsh. I know it's intense, but you know, Gary will deal with it when I leave. So, but if, if this is offending you, I, I'm sorry because 
the scriptures are clear. He shows up and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, stroke them and encourage them and tell them they'll get better with some counseling. He starts flipping tables upside down. He starts swinging a whip like a crazy man. And the disciples are going, who, what is happening? And then they go, oh yeah, oh yeah. The scriptures say zeal for his house consumes him. And I believe that in this moment, zeal for his house, which is not buildings with walls, but the people called the house of the living God, the habitation of God, he's still having this zeal eat him up. And I feel this urgency from the Holy Spirit of when are we going to start contending to be clothed again? When are we going to actually see the endowment of power and stop reasoning our way out of it? Jim, can I have you come back? You guys can stand to your feet. This is the question, who am I and why am I? It's always overwhelming how short I feel when everybody stands up. Who am I and why am I? And I want kids, I want the little ones to listen to what I'm saying. Who am I and why? You're the righteousness of God in Christ, new creation, chosen, ordained, the image and the likeness that he's given us all things, the scriptures say, pertaining to life and to godliness. And that's who God says we are within, the man of spirit. And then he takes it even further and he says, I'm going to endue you with power and I'm going to clothe you with glory. And there's this thing called the anointing that's going to begin to rest on our children. And the way it works is we have to understand what we're anointed for. I'm not anointed to have a ministry. I'm not anointed to... Uh, to build something. I'm not anointed to have church campuses. I'm anointed for the people of God. You're anointed to heal the sick. If this is what Jesus said, stands up and he quotes Isaiah 61, he says, I am here. I've been anointed for. We have to understand what the anointing is for. So I asked my dad the other day, I was venting kind of like I am now. And I said to him, I said, why, why don't we see the anointing like we did then why do we got to talk about the old revivals and why do we got to go and and read the old stories to feel something to feel something tangible again and and i believe there's many reasons but what he said it shook me and calmly and quickly he just said compassion i said compassion i thought it was going to be something more like you know out of order and intense he said compassion compassion for the lost, compassion for the sick, compassion for the broken. How many times do you see power released from Jesus because it says he was pulled on by compassion? And we don't realize that we can pull on the lamb tonight. I mean, the woman with the issue of blood, she works her way through a crowd. She grabs the hem of his, of his robe and he feels actual virtue leave his body. I, I want to tug on the virtue of God tonight with a measure of hunger that's saying, Lord, what's on you? You promised you'll put on me. 
that the anointing that's on you, the oil and the glory that's on you, you said that you're going to endue me with power, that you're going to put that on me. And Lord, I want you to give me the compassion. I don't want to see, and I believe that many, many, many ministries and leaders not only lost it because they lost compassion, I think they lost it because they abused it and prostituted it into building their brand and their ministry rather than know we're anointed to release the captives from prison. We're anointed to walk into our workplaces and see our co-workers healed and their families restored. Listen, if you're a pastor in here, I say this humbly with a kind heart. People need their families restored, their kids to come home, their bodies to be healed. They need their ears to be opened, their hearts to be renewed more than a good visitor's packet. We are more interested in them coming to our church and staying than coming and being disrupted by the beauty and power of Jesus that'll shake up their religion, that'll shake up the grounds, that'll cause the lost to be found and the dark to come to light. We need God to walk back into our homes. We need God to walk back into our churches. And I don't know about you, but I've, I haven't come to a tent just to sweat and be a part of a good meeting. I've come that God anoint me again. I've come that he anoint a group of people again. And you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to stand behind a pulpit. You don't even need a 501c3. I'm telling you, God will start Monday morning at your workplace because we are all kings and priests and the promise I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and the scriptures say that they would lay hands on people and by the laying on of hands they imparted the Holy Spirit and the anointing was imparted and so I'm asking tonight that if you are hungry if, if you're thirsty I just feel like God wants to smear you he wants to smear us that he maybe wants to start this gathering that we come into who we are and why we are so that we can really begin to run. That we can begin to take territory for the kingdom of God and stop playing church because, listen, the world is absolutely losing their minds. And here's what they're after, your identity and your purpose. Trying to tell you you can be a they. You can't be a they, it doesn't work. And, and where are they targeting? Our kids. Any fathers and mothers in here saying, no, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We need our kids to experience God's presence. You can put all the hedge of protection you want around them, but until they've got oil on them, we haven't put any protection on them whatsoever. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor.